Thanks for listening to the Benefits Breakdown. Stay tuned until the end of the episode to receive a code for Sherm Credit. Now enjoy the episode. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of The Benefits Breakdown. This is Vanessa Longnecker. Excited to be here with you today alongside my teammates. Hey, everybody. Jared Volkett with you. Hey, everybody. Adam Compton. We are beyond excited today because we have an amazing repeat teammate joining us back here on Benefits Breakdown. Let's welcome back Rebecca Shipley. Rebecca, welcome to the party. (laughs) We are excited to have you get back into the world of total rewards, pay equity, compensation, and uh, really get into that. So how about before we get into all the fun, maybe you can catch us up again on on your role inside of Brown & Brown so people can be refreshed of who you are and what you do here with inside the organization and, and we'll get into it. Yeah. Hi, it's great to be back. Thank you for having me. Um, So our practice, we have a total rewards practice and a compensation practice. We are really headquartered in Denver, Colorado, but we are a national practice supporting all of the different Brown and Brown offices, your clients and prospects for anyone who's interested in engaging in projects with us around compensation or even the broader total rewards. Awesome sauce. Well, we certainly had a lot of fun with you in our last episode. So much fun and so much demand for the topic in today's market that we thought it'd be fun to kickstart an update on where where things are at. What are you hearing from clients today? And how could we potentially right solve for some of the greatest pain points in current, you know, greatest re- resignation and or renegotiation environment that we operate in today? Yeah, I would I would say that where we are right now is that total rewards is becoming even more important than it ever has. And when we talk about total rewards, when we when we say that, we mean everything that an employer is offering in exchange for an employee's skill set and contribution to the company. And and Vanessa, to your point, you know, we talked about the great resignation, which is getting renamed all the time now, great reimagination great regret, right? So we're seeing a lot of that change in the market. And between the economy and inflation and the talent shortage, companies are really having to hone in on total rewards and what that means. And a couple of pieces when we think about the foundation of total rewards and why we do this is that companies are trying to combat turnover because it is wildly expensive and how do you control for that? And then the other piece that they're trying to control for is engagement, is how do you make sure that your employees are engaged and present and contributing? So when we think about the foundation around total rewards, what we tell employers all the time is you gotta get comp and benefits right. Is that in all of my time doing compensation, I've yet to meet anybody who says, gosh, I get paid great, everything's perfect. It, but but what I do hear is people say, I feel like I'm paid fairly and I feel like our benefits are fair and they're, and they're helpful. So if employers can get to those two things, which are key foundational pieces, then it's about all the other things that make them a differentiator in the market so that they can attract the right talent and more importantly, that they can retain the talent. So, so in, in short, what I would say is that Employers are focusing on total rewards and all of their offerings probably more than I've ever seen. Rebecca, if you were to say, what are some of the key areas that employers are starting to focus on that they maybe weren't focusing on 
two years ago. Areas that are that have come about because of COVID or because of the great resignation or the great shuffle or like you said, the name changes, I think, every week. What are areas that the employers are focusing on that they haven't been historically? Right. So I think a couple things that that I see employers focusing on are are really taking the opportunity and it is investment on the front end, but employers are really taking the opportunity to create a base pay structure. And what that means is that employers are going out, looking at the market, finding like jobs in the market and really setting and, and literally articulating their compensation philosophy, creating base pay ranges and then doing the work that goes behind it. How do you compare against the market, but how do you also compare internally? So those are some some areas where I see employers like diving into that more than ever because they they have to really know where they are so they know what they're how they're getting talent. Within that compensation realm, I think a couple key things that are still where employers are needing to focus is in the event that they are are embracing this notion of allowing remote workforce, whether that's a hybrid workforce or true remote workforce, um, is that that's happening. And a little bit, what we see is maybe employers are putting the cart before the horse a little bit in that they're embracing it and they're allowing employees to work where they need to. And what they're finding is that they need to really create a policy around that remote workforce so they know how to address it and where they stand from an organization. And then the the last thing I would say that I see employers really focusing on right now, especially around compensation, is, is this notion of the Equal Pay for Equal Work Act, which I have different states have different legislation. And it certainly feels like it's headed towards federal legislation for sure. But it's such an important work that employers are needing to do, not only for their workforce, but just our society in general, is looking at equal pay and looking at like jobs and saying, are we paying fairly? And looking at such things as as gender, and by the way, that gender goes both ways and always, is looking at, are we paying gender fairly across all genders? looking at race and looking at age. So those are the things that we see most employers focusing on right now heavily. Just a follow-up to that. Are you seeing employers having to change their employee handbook with these policy changes? Are you encouraging rewriting these handbooks and having, I mean, that that's something that I think as these things have evolved so quickly that our HR friends maybe haven't considered, but maybe should take a step back and evaluate those things. Well, and Jerry, I mean, just to build on that, to build on your answer, Rebecca, is that also job descriptions right. besides just a title, because that ties both of the description and how we tie back the the pay side, but also the, the legality side. Well, you didn't pay me enough. Well, this is what the job description was. Well, your 10-year-old job description doesn't quite describe what the actual role is. Yes, Adam, I love that you talked about that, because I would tell you that job descriptions are not people's favorite things to do, but I would tell you they are becoming the most important things that companies can do is one, making sure that their job descriptions are accurate 
that they're updated because that, I will tell you that job description is becoming the most important thing from a compliance standpoint and from a risk standpoint. So, so getting those updated, yes, is that I see more and more employers diving into that, even though they, they don't want to, because they're seeing the importance of it. And then Jared, to your question is, you know, do you update handbooks? I mean, yes, a thousand times over. And what I would say is most helpful around that before you can update a handbook is that you actually have to sit and document and articulate the policy. And so when we were just talking about the remote workforce, is that what is your policy as an employer? What is your stance on this? Where What happens when people move from a high cost of labor area to a low cost of labor area? Is sometimes em- employees only think about the upside and they don't understand if you move from San Francisco to Omaha, that's a big difference. And so having employers really think through their policy, document it, and most importantly, stand in it. The minute that you're inconsistent, you open yourself up for risk. So writing that policy and then, Jared, to your point, taking that policy and putting it in the handbook is one of the most important things I think in HR folks can do to protect not only the company, but their employees. It's interesting, Rebecca, that you say that and just building on everyone's conversation. I mean, we literally sat with a client this week that had four states that they had employee population base in a few short months ago. They are now operating, unbeknownst to many executives at that table, Mm -hmm. in 41 states. Now, you talk about, right, all of these important factors. Are we assessing our handbook requirements, tax you know, liabilities, state disability requirements in some of these states that may have flown under the radar as they've expanded and or com- you know, regulated in, in state-by-state compliance training requirements are all big risks, just mm-hmm. to name a few. So, you know, again, that role in, in what they're not always thinking about before that's being allowed potentially or even happening without their knowledge base in some environments we're hearing. How are, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? And what are you recommending to employers with these factors at play? Yeah, no, you bring up a good point is that you just think, oh, it's just one person, you know, living in this new state. But Vanessa, to your point, all the things you talked about are important, but also think about taxation. Is their payroll system set up? Are they ready to accept this um, and what that looks like? And then as we were talking about equal pay, is right now it's not a federal statute, right? So it's, it's state by state and all the states are different. And so all of a sudden, what are you what are you comparing to? Are you being as liberal as possible? Are you doing it state by state? And then how do you differentiate that in the in the company? So so to your point, just letting someone live in a different state, you have to think about all the things that go into there. And and I think you're right, Vanessa, is that when HR folks in conjunction with the leadership team aren't really thinking about all those steps and thinking about that checklist of things. What it what does it mean to open, even if it's remote, what does it mean to open a, an office in a different location and all the things you have to check off? So I do think it opens up risk and exposure if you're not thinking through those things ahead of time. And not to keep belaboring this point, but we I even had a client too. They had an employee who they allowed to work in a certain state because they wanted to move because their job afforded them to. Another employee 
wanted to do the same thing, but they felt like their job description wouldn't allow them to do this. And so going back to defining job descriptions very clearly, that's a huge thing that employers have to think about before they just open this up. And there's just so much, there's just a whole new world as far as items that they have to be aware of and things that they have to focus on that they were not thinking about two or three years ago. Yeah. And Jared, to your point, think about, you know, where you just talked about is let's say you have two employees doing the same job, but they have different managers. And what if one manager has a really open mindset and one is no way is think about, you know, the potential, you know, risk around uh, discrimination clauses. Like, well, this person's doing the same thing. Why do they get to work remote and my lifestyle is being impacted? So you can start to see where the, the risk and the exposure could be just by, by not being clear around policy. So you bring up a great point. What's interesting, too, I would say, and having worked closely with your team on on several uh, analysis as of late, I think there's the whole concept of legacy pay equity mindsets and current state. And it's it's alarming, I think, to some when they realize some of their most tenured teammates may not be on scale to what they anticipated mm-hmm. relative to current hiring practices. Do you want to speak a little bit to that as well when we look to that compression concept? Sure. No, you are spot on. I would tell you, in, I think in literally every project we ever jump into is we see this being a common issue. And, and when we bring it up, a surprising issue is that it takes the executives by surprise that this is happening. So when we, we build a base pay structure, that means every single position is assigned to a grade and has a salary range associated with it. And then, and then the next thing that we look at is what we call time and position. So how long has a person been doing that particular job? When we take those two factors into consideration and, and we look at someone's range placement in conjunction with their time and position, what we find is that typically around three years and, it's, and anything greater than three years what we see is the trajectory of range placement starts to go down. So what happens is right now we're so focused on getting talent in the door that we're paying whatever market needs to be paid. And to Vanessa, to your point is what that does is it starts to cause compression because you're bringing in someone who doesn't have that experience or that skill set, and you're potentially bringing them in at the same or higher levels than someone who's been doing the job, you know, for a long period of time, has that skill set, has that experience, and is seasoned in their position. And and so you can imagine is that when you're in that, you know, greater than three years, you're really expecting someone seasoned in their job, they're contributing, they're your institutional knowledge. And so what happens when you lose those folks? Those people are walking out, getting more money, and guess what? They're walking out with your institutional knowledge and that important skill set. And then here's the kicker of the whole thing is you have to replace them at market levels. And so, you know, for employers to really look at their workforce and truly have an understanding of where do you fall against market and where do you fall against internal positions and then saying, how do you address that compression issue? And for people who've been in their position a long time, is how do you work on that and, um, and make sure that they're paid 
according to market and where they should be based on their skill set. So it is something that is surprising to employers and unfortunately becomes surprising when people start to leave and then it's too late. When you lose that skill set, there's a joke that we've had or conversation, Rebecca, about that good talent and maybe a professional football player named Tom Brady that might have left a certain team. Sorry, any of the Patriot fans, but to the <laughs> Buccaneers, you know, that talent goes someplace else and has success. The same thing happens for our organizations and our customers and our friends that good people in that experience world leave. And to your point, that impact is felt to the business. So to these organizations, they might, the ones that you meet with, they're, they're probably looking at a dollar figure. Yeah. Is it a slow correction to get back to that market level? Do you gradually over a three-year term try to get them back up? What's a, what's a good common best practice? Yeah. Adam, to your point, how do you think New England feels when uh, Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl the next year? You think they were worried about losing talent then? <laughs> um, <laughs> little too late. <laughs> Um, and I think to answer your question, you know, not a great answer, but I would say it depends on, you know, the degree of deficit in there is, and that's why it's so important as HR professionals is how are we helping executives stay on top of that every single year? You don't create a base pay structure and then just assume it's going to be good, you know, for year after year, you have to touch it every single year. You have to look at market, you have to stay on top of it. And so when you stay on top of it, right, that dollar amount is a little more palatable every year and you can plan for it and stay on top of it. Plus you're taking into other, you're taking other things into consideration, like things like performance, potential, impact of loss, contribution. So you're looking at other things, but Adam, I think to your point, what happens is as soon as you get far behind market, especially for your tenured folks, that dollar amount starts to be exponential how do you ever catch up? Like it starts to impact your bottom line. And instead of keeping up with it and doing it bite size, then all of a sudden you're faced with this huge dollar amount. And here's the tricky part is let's say you want to fix it over the course of three years. You fix it here, but guess what? Then you have to fix it in year two plus address the market. Right. Then address it and fix your plus address the market. So it becomes exponential and really painful if you're not staying up on it. I think that speaks to a, another really important point. You know, how much is sustainable, really? I mean, there's such inflationary factor happening in the marketplace today. We also hear a lot of clients are looking for creative ways other than just base pay. I mean, we are seeing many double down on benefit strategies, perk strategies, alternatives, yep. such that they're not hyperinflating just the comp wage base, using that as ways to really, again, enhance culture in ways that may be unique in this environment where we're not always brick and mortar. Any thoughts there? For sure. One of the one of the stats that we really track on our side is there's a stat that's been tracked since I think 1971 where they compare unemployment rate to wage growth. And they show that graph on there. And what's really interesting, and it's been proven over and over again, is when unemployment goes low, wage growth goes high. And that is because exactly is that employers are, are reacting, understandably, because it's, it's stressful, but they're, they're reacting to the market and they're, they're pushing it all into base wages. And so what happens is that wage growth goes high 
And then it's not sustainable because as soon as unemployment starts to go back up, you absolutely see over and over again that wage growth plummets. And guess why? It's because companies can't sustain that. And then what starts to happen is that people get laid off, wages get cut, and that is devastating for organizations and for employees. So to your point, the the thing that we really try to encourage is when you think about base pay, which is fixed cost to a company, it's guaranteed pay, is when you got to make sure, are you being are you paying fair to market? So assuming you are, then you have to think about other levers because if you keep raising fixed costs, it's not going to work. So when we talk about other levers, you really have to think about what's important for your organization. There's not a one size fits all and, you know, and it doesn't always work for certain organizations. So what matters to your employees? What makes a difference? Right now, I think employers are really tasked with this idea that inflation is high. And as an employer, what is our responsibility in that? You have employees saying, gosh, inflation's at 8%, going to 10%. I feel it in every part of my life, gas, groceries, everything. And is it an employer's responsibility to address that? And here, it's not a wildly popular answer, but I would tell you something to think about is inflation goes up and down. And it's the same thing we were talking about with remote workforce, is that if you increase wages because solely because of inflation, do you decrease them when inflation goes down? And guess what? People don't like to decrease things. They just like to increase things. So when we talk about inflation, The best advice I can give employers there is one, anchor yourself in your market-based structure and anchor yourself in the cost of labor in your particular geography. And then help employees understand that what you do as an employer is that you keep that notion of stability and consistency versus following the inflation rate going up or down. And I will tell you, like, if you if you really think about anchoring yourself in that and standing in that philosophy, it really helps. It doesn't make people necessarily happy, but it helps put it in perspective and it stands in your in your philosophy as an organization. And then other things to think about, to your point, Vanessa, is you know, it's as it's really as simple as what is the problem you're trying to solve? And if employees are being so frustrated about gas because they're commuting, one, can you give them gas cards, right? You don't have to increase base salary. You don't have to increase fixed costs. Can you let them work from home more often and avoid commuting costs? Can you give them grocery cards, you know, especially for your more junior workforce where they are living paycheck to paycheck is think about the problem you're trying to solve for. And then some other big things that you could consider is instead of, again, increasing fixed cost unnecessarily, is can you do a one-time company contribution to employees' retirement accounts? That's a really, it's a long-term thing, but it's it's an interesting approach. Can you give short-term bonuses? You know, thinking about, you know, just, you know, retention bonuses. And then do you think about certain perks? What's interesting in this whole concept 
is the you know the concept of not all turnover is bad, but it's expensive, right? So if you think about that cost to turn people over and you've got the range of that from six months to two years of salary, that can be expensive. So that compensation is is a huge part of it. And then also, I think that builds into some other pieces you've shared before, Rebecca, which the comp is one side, but also in, in surveys, the compensation is also built around uh, many other functions of why people leave organizations. And that could be their bosses, that could be the workload, it could be the no recognition. And all that ties back into that anchor of your process that builds into uh, that next step to help manage it over time. Yes. Yeah, I would tell you, um, you know, when we think about turnover, it goes back to what we talked about earlier on and getting your foundation correct. Your your benefits and comp have to be accurate. There, there's no way around that. But what I would tell you is that when we look at turnover numbers and we also look at when I run focus groups, the reasons that people leave, comp and benefits are usually fourth or fifth on the list, even for minimum wage positions, because one of the things we hear is that we need better communication. And by the way, please train our managers, because when you have a bad manager, they make your life miserable. So so back to, you know, Vanessa's point about what are other things you can do if you're really focused on attracting and retaining talent, is it it doesn't always have to be pay more money right? It's about how do you make your employees' lives easier, simpler, more enjoyable? And if you can hone in on what matters to your employees and go after that, it doesn't always have to have a large dollar figure associated with them. So true. We, we have so many clients now trying to, with that part-time employee population, right? What type of benefits can we offer there? What type of benefits? How can we get creative? Can we do virtual primary care physician offering, which is very affordable, that gives these individuals a benefit that they may not have had historically. So there's, I, I love seeing some of these creative things that are coming to market because of this lifestyle spending account, so many different things that are coming about because employers are trying to get creative to offer more than just base pay. Because I agree with you, base pay to me, continually increasing that is not sustainable based on, on where things are going. Revenues are not keeping up with inflation. Revenues are not keeping up with all the other factors that are going on in the workforce. So you, you have can't to- grow a business if you're not right, if you're not in tune with this. So to your point, Jared, too, I mean, the lifestyle flex spending accounts, we're seeing a lot of folks start to leverage those in ways. And it can be a temporary fix and it can be a bit more fluid than some of the others. And the rationale behind it can be what you're speaking to, right? Inflation's high, gas prices high. We're we're going to help support our teammates in new ways through this vehicle and carefully communicate that up front. So it's not a give and take or catch up too far outside the bottle, right? Um, it's it's a, a nice way to grow and or morph to the changes in these dynamics. Good stuff. Yeah, Jared, I would, you know, one thing um, as you were talking about that, like I think you hit the nail on the head that you know, what, what do our total rewards offerings look like? And here's the, here's one of the secrets is that it looks different for every single employee. What matters to me looks different to what matters to you. So when you think about like the lifestyle, you know, how the spending accounts, those are awesome ways because then people can use it on what matters to them. And here's the, here's the other thing I would say to employers thinking about this, and I know it sounds easy and I know it sounds simple, but what I would ask employers to do is talk 
to your employees. And so a lot of times what I see happening is that executives in HR are making these decisions for the whole organization without really seeking to understand. And I'll give you a, a really quick example that I ran into is I went into a company and a CEO said, hey, I want to put a dog park in for my employees. It's going to make a big difference. They'll bring their dogs. They're going to be happy. $1.2 million to do this. And so I said, well, let me talk to your employees. Let me see what's going on. I talked to them and they were so upset <laughs> about this idea of a dog park because all they wanted was a little cafeteria where they could eat, they could talk to other people. And by the way, that was 200000 right? And so it's a great example of just seek to understand what's going to make a difference. And then you're really making folks happy. Love it. So true. I mean, the same principles apply to many industry trends, right? There's anyone can create a buzz, but if it doesn't really truly solve a need, right? Data-driven, employee-focused, group-driven, having those simple conversations, then we're barking up the wrong tree, right? But ultimately, you know, we we know that this is this is a, a fun and crazy market that we're all operating in. So, so, so value having you here with us today, Rebecca, doing really fun and great things in partnership. So thank you. Again, we are glad you tuned in today for our episode of the Benefits Breakdown. It's clear, ultimate goal. How do we attract? How do we retain? How do we engage? And how do we continue to thrive? So we appreciate you. We appreciate our listeners. And we look forward to our next episode with all of you. Take care and in good health. Thank you for listening to The Benefits Breakdown. This episode, in combination with our previous episode, titled Evolution of Virtual Primary Care, is eligible for one SHRM credit. The code for SHRM credit is 22EXCGX. That's 22-E as in Echo, X as in X-Ray, C as in Charlie, G as in Golf, X as in X-Ray. Remember, this code expires after December 31st of 2022. So thanks again for listening, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And be sure to tune into the next episode of Benefits Breakdown.